Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And and later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's our scripture reading this morning. May God bless it to our hearts and our lives. So in the midst of an overwhelming number of superhero movies coming out in recent years, uh, we're going to take a look at some heroes too on Sunday mornings this fall. Heroes of a different sort, major characters of the Old Testament. We're going to read some of those fascinating stories that some of us adults, if we grew up in the church, haven't revisited much since Sunday school. Scripture itself, you know, kind of directs us to a study like this when we read that great chapter on faith 
in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, it starts out, Now faith is being sure of what we hoped for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made, was not made out of what was visible. And then we have a list of believers in the rest of the chapter who lived by faith. We're not going to follow that list exactly, but we are going to start with Abel, which is in verse 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews starts with Abel too. We're going to find that while there is good reason Scripture commends these men and women and their faith to us, we're going to see these were no superheroes. They were flawed. We'll find that their stories are put in the Bible to especially direct us to a bigger story, and it's the story of our God. And we're going to see how God is at work. We're going to trace His hand in salvation history. We'll see Him saving people. We'll see Him bringing His grace. And and I really want us to be crystal clear about that approach in this series, which is, is a reason why this very first sermon is under the theme, He is able. In other words, this is all about our God. And so we're going to dig into that today. Abel's story and the broader history we get around him and Cain and his descendants, it shows us that our God is able. We see, first of all, that our God is able to keep all his promises. Hebrews 11 refers to the ancients. And in our verses, we read about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. It sure doesn't get much more ancient than this. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that God made all things in the beginning, and he made them very good. We read how Adam and Eve lived in a perfectly harmonious relationship with one another, with the rest of creation, and especially with their Creator, with an ultimate purpose in it all to give God glory. But already in Genesis 3, Satan comes along. He takes the form of one of the animals God created, the serpent. And this is a bit of a surprise when we come to Genesis 3 because Genesis 1 and 2 don't say anything about sin or evil. we got to go elsewhere in the Bible to learn that Satan was one of God's angels who rebelled. In Luke 10, Jesus talks about Satan falling like lightning from heaven. So it seems he was thrown out of heaven along with some of his followers, fellow fallen angels. Satan's goal is to thwart God's plan to glorify himself through his special relationship with his people. And so Satan comes in at the very beginning and he he tempts first Eve and she falls and Adam fell right along with her. Our first parents went contrary to a clear command of God. And the result was what God said the result would be. Separation from Him. In fact, everlasting separation from Him. And sin and death. And and this is how the Bible tells us sin came into our world. This is the ultimate origin 
of the troubles of this world and, and the troubles in, in our own hearts and lives. That could have been it. That should have been it. But God decided way back in eternity already that he would best be glorified and praised by saving people from their sin. And so we read in Genesis 3.15 what's called the mother promise of Scripture. And God says to the serpent there, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And and so in, in history we can trace out the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Those who are followers of God and those who have rejected God and choose to that. There's going to be an ongoing battle between these two lines that in the end will result in Satan's destruction. God promised his head would be crushed. The rest of the Bible traces out that history of how God fulfills his promise to end Satan, to end evil and sin and death, and save a people for himself. And if God fulfills that ultimate promise, that mother promise of them all, boy, we can really be sure that he will fulfill all of his promises to us day by day. Every promise of his word, the children of God can bank on, we can claim them. In Cain's birth, you can bet that Adam and Eve were thinking of God's promise after the fall. God's promise that the woman would have offspring. Eve said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. See, they were living in the expectation of God's promise. And they were beginning to see its fulfillment already. Second, we see in our chapter that God is able to empower us in our lives, to respond in true faith to him and his gracious promises. We read about these offerings the brothers give God, right? No doubt Adam and Eve talked to their children about the Lord. Just like these parents today are praying for Ryan and Nolan and telling them about the Lord and his goodness. I'm sure Adam and Eve told their boys with heavy hearts about that first sin in paradise. But then they also would have told them about God's grace for them despite their sin and fall and and about God's plan to deliver them even though they didn't understand all the details of how that would work out. They, they, They would tell those boys all that. And Adam and Eve, like parents throughout all the generations, waited for their children's response? Would their hearts be open? Would the boys believe and stand on the promises of their God? Would they come to love the Lord? And evidently in all of this, Adam and Eve taught their children to make sacrifices. You see, for those who accepted the grace of God, sacrifice became a way of practicing the faith. That's how people then gave their hearts to the Lord. It's how they were strengthened in their relationship with Him. Both Cain and Abel offered, but there was a difference. 
God looked with favor on Abel, but not Cain. And somehow they knew this. Somehow God made that clear to him. Maybe he spoke to them directly. Because in Hebrews 11.4 we read, Abel received approval as righteous. What's going on? Well, what's going on is the difference between true faith and a lack of it. It's a difference between those who see God's grace and respond by giving him their heart and those who are deaf to God's word and reject him. We don't have the word faith in Genesis 4, but we know from Hebrews 11 that Abel had true faith. Abel was truly giving his heart to the Lord and Cain wasn't. It was ultimately about the heart, but it shows up in their offering. And that's kind of like true faith for you and me too. It's a heart thing, first of all, but true faith shows up or doesn't in our lives too and how we live them. So it didn't matter here so much that one grew and gave crops and that the other one was a shepherd and he gave a sheep. It wasn't about that. It was this. Cain, we read, brought some of the fruits of the soil. All right. Good for you, Cain. Good job. But Abel, he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So the difference is that Abel gave the best. Cain gave what he didn't need anyway. Abel gave the first fruits. Cain gave the leftovers. Abel gave out of thanks, knowing God's gracious promise. And Cain must have given begrudgingly. Cain perhaps was making an offering to get something in return, trying to buy a blessing from the Lord. This was not a heartfelt and loving response to God's grace and promises, but maybe more of a bribe, false worship. Abel's response, Abel's offering continues to be and always has been the response of true faith. God's children, you and I, we say, Lord, I know everything I have is from you. Without you, I have nothing. I am lost in sin and darkness. Because you have given me breath and life eternal, I give back to you my all. I give you my very best. We don't make offerings or sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament, but this is why when the deacons pass the baskets, we call it an offering. That's one of the ways true faith shows up in our lives living as children of the promise today. And we give our best, we give our first fruits not only during the collection at a church service, our offering is our whole life in response to the Lord, everything we are, everything we have. Why Cain chose not to respond in faith to God, we don't know. He could have embraced the promises of God. He could have done what was right. We do know Abel's right response in faith 
was a gift of God's grace in his life. Because how else in the world could someone born in sin turn to the Lord? And that's true for you and me too. God gives us the faith to respond. We're called to exercise that faith. And we do, right? We do. How is your response of faith to God for his grace in your life today? Our prayer is that God gives us the help and the grace to make us ever more faithful, to have that true faith in our hearts and in our lives. Third, we see God is able in a different way. God is able to use even the seed of the serpent for his sovereign purposes. As the chapter goes on, after these two offerings, one accepted, one not, we see that Cain chose a different path than Abel. And we we see very clearly what that path is. Cain's offering was false, but it gets even worse than that. He's jealous of his brother. We read he was very angry. The Lord confronts him. Boy, God is patient and God is good. God gives him an opportunity to turn it around. It could have changed right there if he would have listened. But but he didn't. Instead of responding, sin grows stronger and stronger in Cain's life. He kills his own brother. Can't even hardly imagine that. And so Cain becomes the first murderer, and in a sense, Abel becomes the first martyr of the faith. He's the first person killed for his faith, and that's, that's why... That's why Cain did it. He hated Abel. He hated Abel's love for God. And in its evaluation of Cain, the Bible does not hold back. 1 John 3.12, Cain belonged to the evil one. He was of the seed of the serpent, the seed that would war against the seed of the woman throughout history. It's interesting, though, that though the Lord curses Cain, he preserves him. And he protects him. Even for someone who rejected the Lord, God has a purpose for him. And he's going to use him. And we go on to read of these amazing accomplishments. We read Cain is building a city. His descendants were highly developed and cultured people. Jabel started domesticating livestock for the first time in history, it would seem. Jubal seems to have invented musical instruments. Tubal Cain developed metal tools. These folks in Cain's line were pioneers. They advanced culture. But they weren't children of God. That's really clear too. Lamech started polygamy. Although Genesis 2 established marriage is one man and one woman. He's got a couple women. There's also this poem that celebrates violence and killing. Lamech hated God. Lamech rejected God. One person suggests, and this is kind of interesting, I think, that it's no surprise that these godless people developed all of this culture because those who reject God are constantly working overtime to show their independence from God, to show that they don't need Him, and so they're very, very industrious. But in all of this, 
Our God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. Even those who reject him will in the end advance his purposes. Music, tools, agriculture, all bedrocks for the advancement of human civilization. God's people, we take these gifts and we use them for God's glory. And so, even those who reject the Lord without knowing it are being used by him as his hand guides history. And that that remains true today. We certainly don't understand everything that goes on or that God allows to happen, but we trust in the sovereignty of our God as his hand guided everything from the very, very beginning as we see here. His hand is still guiding and that leads us to our, our last thought this morning. God is able to guide history to bring all things to the praise of his glory. All of this must have been so trying for Adam and Eve. God had promised offspring that would crush the head of that lousy evil serpent who tempted them, causing them to fall from grace. They have a baby And no doubt they have great hope that he was the one. God had promised their offspring would crush that. But it turns out their firstborn was far from a savior. He didn't even love God. And then he killed his brother Abel, who did love God. So Abel was dead. Then at that, that very end of our text, verse 25, there's, there's hope. Another son is born, Seth. And then he had a son. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that that's all that's said about them? Not a big listing of their accomplishments like all those previous verses. You see, There's another way to live life. There's another purpose for living, and it's seeking refuge and hope in the Lord, not in our own accomplishments. The other way is calling on the name of the Lord. As human history advances from these ancient times in Genesis 4, there would be many who would choose the line of the serpent, but there would also always be those who would advance God's name and not their own. That line of the woman would look pretty tenuous and small at times, but it would persist all the way to Jesus, who would crush the head of the serpent Satan on the cross. There, the serpent, as promised, would bruise Christ's heel. Jesus would die, but it wouldn't be the end. Three days later, he would rise from the grave and be victorious over death. And from there, history has moved forward up to us today, to you and me, right here, September 14th, 2014, Sunday morning, where where we're called to offer our hearts and our lives to our God. And, And that's what you families here want more than anything for Nolan and Ryan. Whatever profession or trade they choose, 
It's most important that they call on the name of the Lord because that's what life is truly about. So my eldest had her first homecoming last night. It seems like just yesterday she was up here for baptism and and getting her, her Bible as a little first grader. It's such a joy to see her growing and maturing, and I'm so glad she had such fun last night. I want her and all my girls to be able to enjoy life, to be able to do well in school, to develop skills and hobbies, and yeah, even have fun doing their hair for a special night and getting all dressed up. It's great. It's a great joy. And you parents know what I'm talking about. I know Sarah does. But more than that, my prayer with all you other parents, grandparents, some of you even great-grandparents out there, more than that, my prayer is that my girls call on the name of the Lord. And with that first, then all of the rest of the blessings of life can truly be enjoyed and have meaning because then it's all done to the glory of our Creator and Savior. We read that phrase, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. A lot of people look at that and say, this is telling about the very first ancient worship services. Now, those worship services must have looked a whole lot different than our worship. I mean, they didn't even have the Bible. But you know what? They did have the word of the Lord spoken to Adam and Eve. They had his grace. They had the promise. Friends, we call on God's name today and we stand in the line of these ancient people of faith. Every time we gather and worship, our help too is in the name of the Lord. We have the same faith. We have the same God. Sometimes the church seems weak compared to the advances of culture and technology, compared to the hatred for God and his people that we're seeing today that goes back to ancient times. But weak people that we may be, we have a strong God, a strong God whose hand is guiding history, and we will call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, you know, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know what that means? That means that's for you this morning too. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your background, if you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that Jesus, that great son of the woman, rose from the dead, you know what? You will be saved. And that means that by God's grace, each one of us here can stand as a hero of the faith today as we call on the name of our God and as we do so with an act of faith, offering Him our lives and our all until Jesus returns on the cloud and God's glory fills the heavens and the earth. Amen.